0: Hello and welcome to this FIR Speakers and Speeches podcast. I'm Neville Hobson, the co-host of the Four Immediate Release podcast series. The third Dell B2B social media huddle uh, took place in London on March seventeenth, two 2011. Uh, I worked with Kerry Bridge at Dell UK to organise and put on this event uh, that was held at Google UK's headquarters, thanks to Richard Robinson of Google. The event featured social business expert Brian Solis and was characterized by its popular unconference approach, enabling anyone to present on a topic or lead a breakout discussion. Undoubtedly, the key attraction was Brian Solis. Brian is widely recognized uh, as uh, one of the most prominent thought leaders and published authors in new media. He's a digital analyst sociologist and futurist, and he studied and influenced the effects of emerging media on business marketing, publishing, and culture. His current book, Engage, is regarded as the industry reference guide for businesses to build and measure success in the social web. A revised second edition was published in March 2011. Brian is principal at Altimeter Group, a research-based advisory firm in Silicon Valley, run by Charlene Lee, and including People familiar to many of you listening, such as uh, Jeremiah Aoyang, uh, which he joined uh, very recently. So to Brian's keynote, in front of a packed room at Google's London headquarters, he explained the concepts of social business and the social customer and their significance in the business of business area. During an open Q&A discussion, which I facilitated, he offered insights into the concept of behavior graphics that he introduced quite recently with benevolence at its center, and why he believes if ignorance is bliss, awareness is enlightening. Concluding a lively and compelling one-hour discussion, Brian offered his impressions from South by Southwest Interactive, the five-day conference and networking event on emerging technology that takes place in Austin, Texas each March, highlighting what he thinks is hot, what's on the radar, and what it will mean for B2B in particular. The day concluded with an informal gathering, a tweet-up at a pub around the corner from Google's offices that enabled everyone to mingle and meet and greet uh, in a very informal way with lots of terrific conversation. But let's get to the meat of this podcast, which is Brian Solis on social business, the social customer, and the significance in the business-to-business area.
1: Thank you. Thank you All right, you said Alt-Tab. You got it. There we go. All right. So Neville asked me to put together some slides, and I thought, wow, I know every single one of you loves a PowerPoint presentation. So I obliged. It'll be short because really I want to get to your questions. I want to have this interactive conversation. I will tell you a couple of secrets. First secret is that I started in experimenting with new media in business to business. Neville asked me to say something about myself, but it's always harder to talk about yourself. Um, I just announced that I joined the Altimeter group with Charlene Lee and Jeremiah Ayang to continue the more research side of my professional life. Um, since the 90s, I've been running my own company, which experimented with the strategy and execution side of new media. In the mid-90s, I was struck by a challenge of a company trying to figure out how do you connect with customers or potential customers using different media so that we could drive action to outcomes. And I had found that the only way to do so at that time were in discussion boards and forums and groups, things that I wasn't necessarily conditioned or groomed or educated to spark or to activate. I realized that everything that I had learned up until that point in my career was useless. So I had to relearn what it would take to activate those communities and really what it took was understanding who you were trying to connect with and what your story was in a way that would add value not spam the community. And social media is just sort of this exploded view of this opportunity. Now. What I do when I'm not executing or researching is I write a lot. So the other thing that uh, I'm going to plug not so subtly. Um, the, the, this version of Engage, by the way, uh, is my latest book. And it's a brand new version that had come out last year, but this one just came out like this week, that I rewrote over the holidays. People loved the original Engage at 400 pages for its depth and density. People hated it for its depth and density, so I decided leave the book as it is for the people who love it and revise it for the people who didn't love it and give them something that's a little bit easier to read Um, so it has (laughs) pop-ups. All right, now let's talk a little bit about B2B. Two good friends uh, of Neville and mine, actually, uh, Paul Gillen and Eric Schwartzman just came out with the book this last week. Business-to-business social marketing, I guess, now is official. If a book exists, it must be real, right? But I want to talk about some of the realities and the challenges that we have, right? When you talk to -to business-to-business professionals, especially on the executive side, they will tell you that social media is irrelevant to the company. And it's hard to argue with them when they don't use it in their personal life. What I've learned over the years, especially when I play at the executive level, to get buy-in, to get budgets, to experiment, to pilot, to prove that it works, is I realize that I have to stop talking about social media and I have to start talking about the people we're trying to reach and show, through examples, what we're missing and to what extent. And that always has a much more powerful um, impact on executives now it's got to be very clear if you don't have buy-in already or if you have casual buy-in you have to demonstrate the point through a sense of urgency by not saying anything in social you say everything which means that if you are not part of the decision-making cycle as decisions are unfolding you are not part of the ultimate decision The thing that's interesting about social media is less about what the network is and more about what the activity taking place within it is. I believe that the hope in all of this for social media to become more pervasive and not just business-to-business marketing, but business-to-business sales and service lies in your hands. It's up to each and every single one of you to put together the case for it, to show the business value for it. And unfortunately, there is no easy answer. I mean, if it, if it was really easy, think about it though. Why would we be so unique? Why would we be so special? I think we're all here together because we're hungry for knowledge. We're hungry to help lead our businesses into a new generation of business. And so the fact that it is not easy, should challenge you to go out and figure out exactly why your business belongs within these social networks. That's your job. It takes homework. It takes your own personal time to make these cases. The good news is that business to business marketing spend is going to grow quite dramatically from 11 million in 09 to 54 million in 11 or 14. So what? What's going to grow? What's your piece of that? And is that enough to help you be successful? If you talk to business buyers, which by the way is always a good idea to get their perspective, they'll tell you that they believe these companies should have a presence in social. Why? Because that's where they go for information. If you're not there, well, you're not there. They also will say that you shouldn't just show up like so many companies are doing today on Facebook and Twitter and blogs and LinkedIn just to have a presence. What they really want is for you to interact and engage with them. And not as a marketer, not as some customer service representative, but someone who can help them make a decision if you look at all of the data today, regardless of whether it's B2B or B2C, the common complaint around consumers and customers are that companies still don't get that engagement means introducing value. Companies still try to spam and market at people. They're just using these channels as new ways to broadcast one-to-many. When in fact what social media's true value is, is one-to-one to many, connecting with the right individuals who will in turn use their networks to help you spread the word. The great fallacy of all of this is that we could look at other examples in order for us to be successful. I will tell you the second secret, and that is I never publish anything that I've learned when it becomes a differentiator or a value add in social media engagement. Because that is the benefit of my work to keep it to me. And every other person that I know and every other business that I know who is doing things extremely well down to the tactical levels do not share that insight because they hold it sacred to them. So the case studies and the examples that you read about are far more generic than you imagine. They're not the keys to your success. They should serve as inspiration. But the answers lie in the business customers and the research that it takes to find what they're saying, what they're doing, and where they're connecting. This is about finding your own answers, and that's what makes this difficult. That's why this is not for everybody, because the answers aren't in a book, right? The answers aren't in a blog post that starts with the top 10 ways to dot, dot, dot. (laughs) The answers require some legwork. The answers, to be quite honest, lie beneath the surface. It takes some research to find exactly how you can excel in new media. It takes some research to figure out where these individuals are and to what extent, and not just to what extent, but the impact and their connectedness as to the value it brings to your organization, right? Business to business, believe it or not, had an early lead in social media. However, executives across the board are doubtful because no one's really taking the time to present to them what's beneath the surface. We'll take Radian 6, we'll use any listening device, and we'll start just documenting keywords, right? And, I can give you one example. A globally renowned business-to-business organization was so emphatic about Twitter that in order to make the case, they hired me to go do research to show that conversations about this company were taking place and that conversations about competitors were taking place on Twitter. So I scanned about 30 days of conversations. And I came back. I said, hey, you're not going to believe this but there were a total of 89 mentions, and most of them weren't even a conversation. They were just casual mentions. So I don't know that Twitter is right for you. Uh, well, we must need to look at those keywords again. Run it again with these new keywords and tell me what you come back with. So I do it, come back, said, wow, huge difference. It was 119. <laughs> now, <laughs> are you ready to throw tens of thousands of dollars at this. But this time I was a little smarter. I came back to them with a bigger audit, and I showed them that all of their activity was taking place on blogs, forums, like old-school forums, and in LinkedIn. It was funny because they said, well, thanks, but I think we're still going to go ahead with Twitter because that's what everybody's doing. That's not intelligence going to work. That's just the shiny object syndrome. What was beneath the surface was rich with information. What people were asking for, saying, searching for, was so rich with insight that you could have developed just on a 30-day search of what was taking place in those networks. You could have put your whole social media strategy together. The other thing that I had learned in this research, and I conducted this research for several months even though they didn't want to work with me, was the amount of lead generation that was visible in those conversations. Most business-to-business referrals are done through word of mouth, right? Of course, it's a natural extension for social. You have three different types of consumers today. You have your traditional, You have your online consumer, and you have this social consumer. And the reason why I present those to you is because the social consumer finds and shares information uniquely, right? The online consumer, no offense, Richard, goes to Google. The social consumer relies on their feeds. And rather than search, they will publish and invite feedback. It's a very lazy way of doing it. But they have a trusted community that they rely upon to present them with information. Here's the other thing that I've learned in those studies. Not only are there an incredible amount of leads, but you can identify every step of the decision-making process based on what people are saying and sharing and writing. The difference with the social consumer, however, is that they introduce new touch points, at every step of that decision-making cycle. They will not go through the funnel at all. They will not take a linear process to making a decision. This is research that McKinsey published, which was pretty identical to the stuff that I had found, that it was this continuous elliptical loop. You could, at any moment, interact and steer the decision. You could engage to introduce value. You could refer others to help introduce value. Every single one of those decisions can be affected by listening and introducing value. Not by selling, right? Because the business customer will tell you that one of the things they hope for from a company's social media strategy is that they become an expert, that they can learn from you because you are not trying to sell them, but you're trying to empower them with information to shortcut the traditional buy process, not just based on vendors who are approved, but based on vendors who have the best solution for what they need. So this is the best I could do with PowerPoint, sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> the point is, is that you can touch every single one of these. You can identify it as it happens in real time. The more you engage, too, the better it is for you. Because the one challenge that every business will say with social media is that it's not scalable. How do you take one-to-one conversations and make them reach a lot of people? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But the first part is, the more you engage, the more you actually build a community who's going to act on your behalf. There's a form of empowerment, and information acts as a form of empowerment. That's why they will say, for business-to-business, the best strategy for any one of you is to become experts in the industry just like the bloggers and reporters and analysts you rely upon. If you follow Tom Firemsky, he t- he will say that EC equals MC. Every company equals a media company. You should become the expert that you're relying upon to get information out there because then they will rely upon you for valuable information. And this is why when we have this conversation about who owns social media, There is no answer, really. The answer today is marketing or communications or customer service. In fact, some of the studies will show that it's in that order. That's where social media lives today. But the question you have to ask is who owns the customer relationship? That's everybody in the organization. And now with exploded touch points, it's now more prevalent than ever. Hence this framework. Our job is to not just show that social media is important. In the long term, I bet it changes every single business you work for by having to add extensions to the departments affected by outside activity, from listening to engagement. Because that's the business of the future, it's not just about marketing, it's not just about service, it's not just about sales, it's about that entire loop because what social media really does open up is this idea of connected experiences, people who are considering, loving, hating particular products and services. Some more stats, because they're always fun. I, I leave these with you, because hopefully you can take them back to your office. The big thing that's important is this. Word of mouth is undeniable, right? Word of mouth is becoming more important in terms of how people find and share and make decisions. So the question is, who's influencing the social consumer, right? An easy answer is probably gonna be bloggers, right? The harder answer is this whole emergence of social capital metric systems. The good news for you is that you can actually use those same tools to not just figure out what somebody's score is, but figure out what they talk about more often. Topical relevance will introduce you to, not just bloggers, but this idea of tastemakers, who's influencing business-to-business decisions on Twitter, Facebook, you name it. And this is a map, I actually shared this yesterday at a conference, that I had put together for a business-to-business consumer in a radically vertical space to show you that anything and everything has influencers. Actually, this is not for the same company, but I did the same thing for this random robotic arm manufacturing company to prove that there were influencers in that space as well. The different colors that you see are Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, blogs. The other thing that you probably can't see is that they were all, I, I dug deeper, they were all in one way or another connected to each other. So it's hyper-connected, one to one to many. This small group of individuals influence the entire market for the social customer. Anybody have get asked this ever before? <laughs> Probably not. This is bleeding edge stuff. <laughs> I don't know that anybody in the industry, quite honestly, can answer this question. And the problem is, is that because they're not designing social media programs to answer this question. They're just designing social media programs. You can't measure the ROI based on friends and followers and views. They have to be designed to do something. They have to be designed to have some sort of click to action. And by action, I don't mean landing on your homepage. God help us. What are we almost 20 years into the web and most business websites still suck. You have to drive the experience that's unique to the social consumer in the way that they need to see and experience things, right? They go from very interactive environments where they are in control of the relationships and the information that comes their way. You can't expect to send them to a static dead end and have them do something. Part of your job is to not just justify why, but once you have that engagement... The other part of your job is to shape and steer that experience or shape and steer that click path so that it has some value to both of you. Having an outcome is how you start to focus on ROI. And having an outcome is not bad, right? Web marketers figured that out long ago. KPIs, ROI. Put in milestones and have an outcome And that outcome could be one of many things, and that's what makes social so special. But think about this. As you're engaging, this box, however it is, whatever network it is, that becomes your place to introduce value into the community, to introduce value into not just that experience, but to boost your authority within the space as an expert that you once sought you have to define that action up front. Because with the social consumer, and this is the scary part, but this is also the great part, the future of business is not created. right? It's not created because we sit in a conference room and we come up with some very compelling messages or creative or sales strategies. It's created in this space by social consumers who are part of the process, with or without us, by the way, But we have every right to earn that opportunity to be part of the ecosystem. It's just earned. It's not a right, which is okay. But the challenge is, how do you become that thought leader? If you look at Edelman's trust barometer that they released recently, one of the interesting things that they had found was that for the first time since they had been running that report, consumers said, and by consumers I just mean general customers, had said that they're not just relying on peers as much as they used to to make decisions. They were relying on the weight of experts and authorities in order to make decisions. And not press, not analysts, but people like you and me. Bloggers, tastemakers, individuals that focus on a particular subject and relentlessly share information and insight on that subject. So it's up to you to create it. It's up to you to figure out the value you're going to introduce and then just do it, right? Look at 37 Signals. It's not a business-to-consumer or a business-to-business story as much as it is an example of what happens when you invest in a community through intelligence and insight and help and guidance. Their blog is one of the top blogs in the world. Google has one of the top blogs in the world. That's because the companies invest an insight. What do you do with what we're doing in order to do it better? Or just in general, what's going on in the marketplace so that you can make decisions better, so that your business can be more effective? That's what this is about. It's about becoming the experts that you once relied upon to get your story out there. Your job moving forward is to find the social consumer, engage with the social consumer, build authority for yourself and the organization that you work with, and then design the entire ecosystem around experiences that can be shared and should be shared. This is a real powerful moment in the history of business where business is part of the ecosystem, where people want to engage directly with you and you want to engage directly with them. I know you want to engage directly with them, but meaning that the executives you report to want you to engage with them. And this is why a lot of this, it's not just about social media. A lot of this is about business reinvention. A lot of this is looking at companies who are going to have to revisit what their mission is and what their purpose is and what their story is and what their culture is because in order to have a front-facing engagement strategy, a lot of those things are gonna have to be defined and redefined. So it's not just about social media. Think about it, it's bigger than that. What you're touching right now, why we're here together, right now is actually some of the first steps into transforming business, putting customers right back into the front and center of everything they do. Going against decades, by the way, of businesses moving away from that, right? You can share that pain. When's the last time you were able to get an operator for a business that you were trying to call because you had a problem with their product or service? Everything's automated now, and now suddenly, Twitter, Facebook, blogs, everything that gives customers a voice, gives them power. So now businesses have to do an about-face, and this is part of the job that we each have. We have to show why, we have to show how, we have to show to what extent, we have to show the business value and the business outcomes of all of this, but more importantly, you're change agents, and your job overall is to make your companies more relevant, not just to the social consumer but to everybody in general. So with that, thank you for that little presentation.
0: Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. So um, I know we're anxious to get to our Q&A, and I'm very anxious indeed to know what questions you've got for Brian. But I've got a couple of things I'd like to kind of kick us off with. um, If you read Brian's blog I'm sure many of you do. If not, BrianSelvis.com, he writes about a lot of this stuff, and he wrote a lot about the social consumer earlier this year. Uh, but this question I want to ask Brian particularly is, is an, an aspect of all of this, which I believe is key, which is understanding who you pay attention to, um, understanding uh, the people with influence. How do you find influences? Whether it's consumer or business doesn't make any difference. You still have to do that in making those connections. Now, those of you who've been to huddles before will know that the, the image we've been using for the last couple of years is one that was actually created by Brian, called the Conversation Prism. And uh, Brian created that a couple of years ago, I think. It was updated uh, subsequently.
1: four years ago. Right.
0: But it's, it, it, the essence of that, the imagery it presented, was, was dead right for what uh, we believed, that Kerry and I when we were talking about putting these events together. Brian's come up with something I think is quite interesting as an evolution, Uh, of this element of understanding who it is that you want to connect with. And I wanted to ask Brian about that. This is the concept of behavior graphics. Have have you all heard of this? Who hasn't, or who has heard of this? Sorry. Okay, it's a great opportunity, Brian. Um, Behavior graphics, as you'll see, is a um, slightly different view on what makes influence, people's behaviors, behavioral types. Uh, I've contrasted it with um, a device, uh, a graphic produced by Forrester Analyst Group a while ago, which was the, um, the ladder showing types. Yeah, that's the one. And uh, here's a different way of looking at it. And my question to Brian, once we have that graphic uh, up here, uh, is the notion of benevolence, which is at the center of it, as you will see when you see this graphic. And that, that's a new one to me and how I thought this through myself. And the question Brian really I wanted to ask is you could tell us, tell us about benevolence in the context of all the other elements surrounding that and why you believe, as you wrote in your blog post, if ignorance is bliss, awareness is enlightening. Tell us about that.
1: Well, I, yeah, that's actually, I, I said that? That's pretty you smart. You did, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> All right, let me give you the backstory here and then then I'll get to the, uh, the answer. The one thing that I've noticed about social media was that it was less about technology and more about things like anthropology, sociology, and psychology. That's not because I went to school for it. I actually had to start studying that ever since I started engaging in forums and bulletin boards back in the 90s. Because of that, you notice that social media then becomes all about human behavior and human interaction. So we start to move away from things like demographics, right? Age, income, religion, etc. And you start to move more into the world of psychographics. Everybody familiar with psychographics, right? So a perfect example of psychographics is Twitter. Twitter is less about the social graph and more about the interest graph as it's called. People are connecting with one another Sure, it started as friends, but now people are more and more following people like them or people who talk about things that they're interested in, So, hence the interest graph. Then you have things like the technographics ladder or social graphics that show how individuals interact in the social web. Do they consume? Do they curate? Do they create? Do they comment? And then I felt that none of those were deep enough to get to the individual, because really at the end of the day, that's what it's about. So I studied behavior graphics and came up with about 18, I think there's 20 now because I I introduced two more and I'm revising the graphic, common behavioral types of why people shared at any one moment we could be one or many of these things. But at the heart of the matter was benevolence. Because when you look at the sociology and the psychology of social engagement, there really is this social economy that takes place, right? There is a currency between what you say, who you connect with, who follows you, who you follow. There's this rhythm to it. And if you ever studied Ben Franklin's discussions of paying it forward, you'll notice that in social it is all about benevolence and those individuals who are benevolent within social actually have the greatest levels of authority and trust because they invest in the ecosystem, or as I call it, the ego system. They invest in doing things for others because it does come back to them, many fold. And to me, it was the strongest part of the graphic.
0: I think you've actually introduced something that's that's thought provoking. Uh, And I'm wondering whether anyone here leading to my first question. If, you, if anyone would like to ask a question related to that that Brian's just told us about benevolence. What, what do you think of that? Thomas? Well, when you use the word benevolence, are you saying love?
1: Oh. Not directly, but what I am saying is that there is this practice, for example, a retweet and a like at its most basic sense is an act of kindness. It's also an act of endorsement, not just because you approve of the content, but because when you do, whether it's a retweet or a like, it triggers a social effect. And people are starting to realize that you can acknowledge somebody's contribution and introduce it to your community as a way of saying, here. That becomes an act of, in many ways of paying it forward. So it's not just about love. Although I used to say that social media felt a lot like the summer of love <clears throat> because it was, it was almost as like this new hippie movement. But it's become actually quite literal around the social currency um, and social economics, really, how, how you... In fact, how many of you have heard of a service called Clout? How many of you have looked up your name on Clout? <laughs> All right. Clout is less about influence and more about this idea of social capital in fact i've had these discussions with um, with joe who's the founder of cloud quite some time trying to beg him to change his tagline which is the standard for influence because really at the end of the day what they're measuring is social capital how well do you navigate social interactions in a way that boosts your your score because if you ask somebody and i did this study with Vocus. If you ask somebody why you follow someone within social networks and why you consider them to be an authority or an influencer, the number one reason they will say is because you consistently produce and share very interesting content and information. Some of the other inf- reasons is because you consistently invest in the community by promoting others who also share interesting insight. Those are all benevolent acts, not necessarily acts of love. Love could wouldn't hurt. I'm sure that there are wonderful examples. One of the other graphics that uh, you don't see here is the art of language. In social media, language is paramount. It's incredible how valuable language is. You could take a tweet, and you could simply reword that tweet, and it will perform multiple folds better simply because you optimized it with language and character count. And there are some research reports, uh, one of which that I wrote, called The Science of Retweets, that shows just what kind of language gets retweeted the most. One of the things that we say in terms of social media and language is that you'll find that in most cases it's going to speak to one of three places to a human being. To their heart, to their mind, or over their head. And so when you're sitting there in that conference room and you're coming up with verbiage like paradigm-shifting, innovative, groundbreaking, pioneering, disruptive, you're speaking over the head. Again, benevolence is someone who understands the art and science of language so that they're investing more in the community. Um, And it is actually scientifically now proven. Same studies come out for Facebook as well. All of the words that people will use to get and invite more reactions.
0: So, um, any? Oh, Andy, you have one there, yes. I don't know whether it's switched on. Yes,
2: it is. Um, I, I actually had a question based on something you said in your first set of comments about about this infographic, which was around reasons why people follow people, tastemaking, all of those kind of things. And and, and actually, somebody I was on the train on the way up, and somebody tweeted, uh, James Grant, Bristol James, was tweeting about the fact that it's wonderful for connecting like-minded individuals, which is what you're you're referencing if you're wanting to go into a space to influence directly, you actually kind of want to bring other people who might not be within your sphere along with you. And there's a danger, isn't there, that, that, that we self-select a group of people who match our, mm-hmm. uh, our own psyche, right, and our own interests. Um, is, there, is there a kind of element of uh, manipulation that, that needs to occur from a business perspective? Do you think that of, of seeking out those who are, either uh, not, not that you're otherwise, you know, having a negative impact on uh, or um, just generally wanting to widen as a person your social sphere. So from, a, from an individual standpoint
1: or from a business well, I, I standpoint? Well, think,
2: I, think I, I think I'm wondering about it in both contexts, actually. I think, I think for myself as an individual, clearly, if I get offended by something, then I typically want to kind of switch it off, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a natural human reaction. But it's good to be challenged. It's good to have my thought processes challenged and if I'm being benevolent I might actually want to go and try to change that person's opinion or make
1: them nicer,
2: right? Because a benevolence and niceness, right? Love, whatever.
1: Or it's an intentional strategy to invest in a community so that yeah. the community works for you. Um, it, it's, 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 it's wide open in terms of its interpretation. The the, the most interesting thing, like I'll be, I'll be really honest with you, social media is, because it's such an emotional landscape, it is a very manipulable landscape. And if you look at books, for example, of The Art of Persuasion, they will show you exactly what it takes to get an individual to do exactly what you want.
2: Well, that was, uh, you know, the, the comments you were making about the
1: language and so on, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. However, intent speaks for everything. It's just a matter of time, especially in real time, it's a lot faster, for an individual to recognize that they're being manipulated and to react accordingly. So you get, or you reap what you sow, I suppose, in social. Because I can tell you that, I mean, I'm old enough to remember the encyclopedia salesman who used to come to my door. And just how... Gross I felt after Having bought an entire collection Like oh I can't believe I did that I didn't even want these (laughs) But I couldn't Tweet about it and I couldn't Blog about it but you could today So I have a play on Words which was think Think about the relationship You're trying to build because it's Not a matter of may I have your Attention please it's now may I have your Intention please because we're Empowered to react
2: question following on from that related to it which is that social media seems to have the the kind of epigenetic problem in that as we study it and then put what we learn into practice we change it how do people who are practicing social media stay ahead of that and how do we deal with that really tight feedback loop that as we as we change our behavior observe different things and then change our behavior again that we're kind of chasing our, our own tails and changing how people use the tools
1: I think that first takes us honestly recognizing that these are being used uniquely. Because we I don't know that we're giving that any attention. This is why I keep beating the drum over and over again because we're still caught up in the mystique and the allure of having the ability to say what we want when we want. And that's a trap, right? I mean we were blessed with inner monologue and personal filters for a reason, right? Just look at Charlie Sheen. Sometimes you just have to say, <laughs> you know, I mean, think about it. If, if The guy's a brand. And if you watch some of his video rants or read some of his tweets, you have to ask yourself, whatever mystique or impression you had of Charlie Sheen, the brand, is now completely just raw. And the, the real business question is, is this guy worth $1.8 million an episode? It's to be debated. So we're still learning just how to use these tools in order to communicate, when as, you know, your question is right on. I mean, how, how do you understand the, the deeper value of human behavior and engagement so that you can use it to your business advantage? <laughs> well, first that would take you to stop using Radiant 6 as a monitoring tool and to use it as a research tool. What are people saying? What do they want? What do they don't like? What are you not giving them? So that you can build meaningful strategies around that. One of the underappreciated infographics that I introduced was this idea of a social compass, which was a play on the moral compass, which kind of gets to what you were asking. It really was this idea of how do you build bridges between you and the people you were trying to reach using everything from who they are to how they consume information, to how they participate in the consumption of that information, and then the last ring, which was all emotions. Because that's the last mile of social media. You have to feel it in order to really embrace it, especially if if you want to share it. They have to really believe that it's something of value, of substance, and that they can put their own bits behind it, so that way it makes them look better in sharing it makes them look smarter. They don't have to create the content. If they share the content, wow, this person's really tapped in. They're really plugged in. So we have a lot to learn.
2: Hi, Brian. It's on. Um, so yeah, my uh, question relates to actually a conference that I'm researching at the moment that you know about, um, Social CRM. Um, and it's an area that's emerging. There's a lot of hype around it at the moment. Uh, and I'm asking everybody I meet um, you know, to define Social CRM in their view, and also to come up with an idea of when the hype is going to end and we're actually going to see some interesting case studies and examples. Um, Do you have a view on that, what it is and uh, when the hype will end?
1: Well, yes. Um, I have have an opinion on that. In fact, I call it SRM. I've written quite a bit about this and I'll find you something while I'm talking. But the reality is this. You put social in front of anything and it's hot. (laughs) (laughs) The thing about CRM and I'll uh, you know I every every time I say this I open up a can of worms for debates but why not The thing about CRM it's all about the approach and if you approach CRM and you put an S in front of it really what social CRM means to that group are tools like Twitter Facebook Hootsuite CodeTweet uh Radiant 6 how do we how do we operationalize the process of social. But that's not what it means in the grand scheme of business. right? Especially if you're going to socialize your business to affect these touch points. What social CRM starts to become part of is less about, again, technology and more about methodology and philosophy. And this is the part of why it's a contentious debate. Because, yes, technology is important. But think about the methodologies behind CRM today, right? CRM is about efficiencies. It's about systems. It's about IT departments. And if you even look at that, the IT department of the future is losing its value within the organization, right? They take too long to introduce the technology that's going to help you be more effective. They don't interact in a way that would understand them to qualify the tools that they're deploying across the organization. So the the CIO, that I is going to have to change from information to innovation, and things are going to have to get a little bit better if we're going to look at the socialization of anything, let alone CRM. But I have this saying, if you drop the C out of the equation, you might have a better strategy. And if you drop the S out of the the equation... (laughs) you would actually have exactly what the future of business looks like, relationship management. How do you organize a business around maintaining relationships with customers at every end? Because it's not just customer service. It's not just sales. It's everybody. So if SCRM gets us closer to that, great. And if you guys follow Paul Greenberg, who's considered sort of the father of CRM 2.0, has written five best sellers on CRM. Him and I have had some very healthy discussions and he actually contributed to uh, Engage and unfortunately that part got cut out which sort of gave meat to the idea around SRM and SRM really was taking it out of the technology debate within the organization to at least start to introduce new philosophies and methodologies around why we should do this so that the company can respond accordingly because before you can collaborate externally, you have to be able to collaborate within. And within, think about it, every business is structured within silos. And now suddenly you're going to have to work with other departments? That's where it all starts. So that's a long-winded answer to, to that question. But it's one that I'm passionate about because I think if you talk to the CRM 2.0 group, it's, it's not about that at all. And if you talk to the social CRM folks, well, to them, it's just about social tools and social media. When, in fact, what we're talking about is the socialization of business.
3: I was curious to get your thoughts on the scalability and sustainability of the whole notion of engagement and influencer relations, especially as more B2B brands get into the space, understanding it. My assumption is that there is a finite universe of influencers out there. And how effective do you think these powerful techniques can stay for how much longer um, if you know, more and more brands start leveraging them?
1: Well, you see this actually getting completely polluted in the business-to-consumer space, right? Just, just ask any consumer-facing brand what their social media strategy is, and they'll tell you, mommy bloggers. Mommy bloggers are our answer. And if you think about how every brand is approaching them from Honda sending them minivans to uh, any baby company, baby clothing company, everything, everybody's sending them stuff to the point where they probably have households full of too many things that they, they could use, that they're giving it away. On the business to business side, it's a little bit, I would hope that's a little bit more strategic. I can tell you that in my experience. Having built relationships with the right individuals have become incredibly valuable, and they will say, wow, this is refreshing, because I'm getting spammed by everybody's PR department, and they're not trying to build a relationship with me. They're not actually appreciating my voice or inviting me in for my opinion. Um, you know, No offense, but I don't think it's a surprise, Oracle will not acknowledge the value of social influencers but SAP will. And SAP is benefiting greatly from that strategy. So I guess one part of the answer is we're a long way to go before they feel overwhelmed. Because it, that's part of the methodology I was talking about with Luke, was that you have to recognize the, the power and the uniqueness and the value that these individuals bring to the organization and their reach and appreciate and structure around that. But ultimately, I would have to imagine, and this sound, sounds terribly commonsensical, but I believe that common sense is uncommon, that the more value you introduce into the relationship over time, no matter how many people try to reach them, it just boosts their value and their credibility. I, I, I bet you the more companies that try to leverage their expertise and their help for reach, I bet you these guys wind up building new careers out of it. So I, I think more power to them. It's, I, I see no end in sight.
2: Hi, Brian. Uh, quick question. From what you've been saying this afternoon, it sounds like very much for a lot of people here, including me, does the future of business really mean that we turn into social researchers? Because we're going to spend more time actually understanding the, our business, what's, you know, who are the real customers are and who the real influencers are, as opposed to going after the mummy bloggers, which everyone else is doing, right? So the better we understand our businesses, the better we understand our consumers and influencers. Does that mean that's the way the business is going? And, al- and also internally,
1: What's that expression? Um, Too much data causes analysis paralysis. It's fascinating how just one bout of research, how long that insight lasts. So, yeah, in some regard, I mean, most business-to-business companies I've ever worked with have a business intelligence department. The difference is is what intelligence are they gathering and where does that intelligence go? One of the big business-to-business companies that I'm working with right now We I actually spend a lot of my time these days in change management, which isn't terribly sexy, but it's because the businesses I'm working with are trying to restructure their organizations around this idea of socialization of the business. And one of the roles that we just created was just that, a social researcher, somebody whose job it is to track trends related to the business and the industry and also identify the individuals in the networks where these are unfolding because the business is that big that it requires at least one full-time job. It might actually grow into to more. The idea, of course, is that they wouldn't just live in social. Eventually, they would just move into the business intelligence department just adding or rounding out the team. And anybody who wants that information or who wants to guide that information, marketing, sales, customer service, can then tap into it or assign certain research projects. But Yeah, I don't know that you and me become social researchers in the long term, because part somebody's got to execute. But I'll tell you what, I don't know, I wouldn't know everything I know today if I hadn't conducted a lot of research and then tested it on the execution side.
2: Uh, Stuart Bruce from uh, Wolfstar. I just wanted to pick up on the thing about um, becoming experts in your space, because that's kind of one of the things that we've kind of consulted with clients on for years and worked for lots of them and I think it I think one of the things we're seeing now is because the space is so crowded that unless you're willing to target and able to target a specific niche it's becoming a lot more challenging and we in a classic case the other week where somebody was telling us they wanted to target small to medium sized and owner managed businesses that's you're not going to become an expert in that space because there are so many other experts there already you've got to niche it more and it was really just to get your views on, on kind of how you can do that
1: well it's a really good point I suppose if that were true, though, we wouldn't have any more social media experts, yet they're coming out of the woodworks. I would have to say this, honestly, there's always room for a voice at the top level, but at the same time with good niches, right? And niches are, I think, what makes, especially the verticalization of business-to-business so important, because I don't know that any business-to-business has just one type of customer that they can engage with. But by highlighting those nuances and the challenges that they face in solutions, not just promoting the product, right? In fact, that becomes an afterthought. That's just somebody likes what you have to say, and they click on your bio, and that's who you are. The challenge I have is not that at all. It's the challenge of getting people to stay committed to it, because the first excuse they have is that they have a job to do, and publishing isn't one of them. I believe that there is some aspect of their job that they could just cut out in order to stay top of mind. Contributing posts and insights to not just your own blog but to industry blogs is huge. Just, just look at TechCrunch, right? TechCrunch and Mashable are riddled with contributions of individuals who are trying to show that they're an authoritative voice on a particular subject and it works. It works extremely well, but those aren't the, other, the only two outlets for that, right? There are numerous outlets. And at the same time, hosting it at your own domain is incredibly important. And not just at your own domain, but part of the business domain. The challenge is dedication, and then the other challenge is content promotion, right? Because you can blog all of the greatest insights in the world, and unless anybody knows about it, you're not recognized as an authority. So some of the best things that I've learned around this was, how do you market the content? How do you get it out in front of people who could benefit from it? And I found that engagement strategies not focused on the business itself, but focused on the voices behind the business because they were experts, because they could bring solutions, because they had written something about it, actually allow them to cut through the chase. Now, there are some business-to-business examples, but I think if I gave you two business-to-consumer examples, they might actually bring a little bit more clarity. The two best that you see this in a crowded space are in real estate and in medical. Real estate agents and doctors who are out there engaging with individuals that have nothing to do with their markets are actually becoming prominent authorities because they're actually taking the time to invest, hence the benevolence of that sign. So it's not even just about blogging as much as it is about providing direction and solutions, but promoting what it is you represent. So some of the best content marketing strategies have been through direct engagement, um, relentless direct engagement, and then over time, strategic direct engagement, just the right people all the time. There's so many, it's such a deep subject, but there's so many different aspects to this, but it has to start with some sense of participation and differentiation, right? At the same time, and I, I and I say this with all all respect, sometimes it's best not to let the executive be the authority, because in many cases they're the first ones to say it's less important for them. But for the right person within the organization to be the the, the authority, finding those individuals who are passionate about it and working with them. Watch, watch. I think in a, in, a, in a it's just a couple of weeks. Watch news at Cisco. Cisco's. Uh, blog and, and communication center. Watch what they do to the individuals within their organization and how they transform them into authorities. That's going to roll out here pretty soon, but it's actually a very good strategy to, to, uh, to learn from.
2: Yeah. Uh, Brian, w- you were talking about um, thought leadership, benevolence, and challenge whilst maintaining the relationship and reaching out to millions. This made me think actually of religious leaders and I wondered
1: if you have some reflections on that please oh boy Um, were you talking about religious leaders in a Jim Jones kind of way or (laughs) I I deliberately said religious leaders (laughs) rather than naming
3: but I I
2: actually meant the ones that people you know right okay let's say the Pope or the Dalai Lama people who have real authenticity Mm -hmm. long term relationships I was not talking about the other source (laughs) okay
1: well actually I don't know you just nailed it authenticity and commitment and also there's passion and vision and hope is a big part of that hope to see something different than how it is today the thing that makes social media so unique unto itself is that because it is actually a connection of emotions right it started with individuals connecting with people who they know. And then it started with people that they hoped to know. And what you started to see was just this whole diverse series of networking. One of which actually, I can't remember his name, but he's a Google employee who talked about the, the art of social networking and how social networking today does not at all emulate how we network in real life. It's actually a really fascinating presentation. But it's, a, it's a, just a conductor for passion and authenticity and transparency. The question is, though, how do you build a strategy around that? Because I I jokingly play that, you know, authenticity and transparency aren't in-of-themselves strategies. They're just qualities. If your intention is to introduce value consistently into the stream, authentically and transparently, um, combined with enthusiasm and passion, well, that's very contagious. That's what actually would set anyone you work with apart than a regular reporter, with no offense to reporters. It's just a different paradigm, right? The reporter's role is incredibly important for vetting information. On the religious leader side of social media, emotions have to come through, otherwise they just there's no hooks. Uh, There's no trigger to share. Um, There is no reason to actually read it. I mean, just think about it today. Um, One of the worst things that's happening right now is not just because of social media, just technology in general, is our inability to focus, right? If you want to have any hope of engaging with somebody, it's got to sing to them. It's got to speak to them. It's got to have almost an evangelical-type quality. Otherwise, it's really easy to just pass it over as just content. That's the problem, right? With the democratization of information comes a glut of content. And so when we look at the real importance of this, um, I'll often say that content is no longer king, that context is king. That's because people need relevance, people need insights, people need it personalized for them with a little passion and he put behind it.
0: I think we have time for one more question before, yep, before we have to break.
3: Um, Brian, excited by your comments, put social in front of anything and it's hot. Partly because I work with the public sector, specifically in social care and social work. And with the best will in the world, they're not quite the hot subjects I would like them to be, although they're actually incredibly important for the fabric of our society. In a sense, coming back to the authenticity and the previous question. Um, I'm also impressed by your honesty before your book signing in advising people they've got to build their own intellectual capital. <laughs> it, it, you can't buy it in a book. And I guess that's one of the advantages about information on the, um, available through Twitter, etc. I suppose my final question, and, and, and this is about the silo element, is that are we moving beyond the B2B, B2C markets And having to look in the socialization of businesses at different models. Because it isn't just, you know, one element. You are selling to this gang. You are selling to that group. But you are selling the one-to-one and the one-to-many. And it's an unhelpful differentiation, in a sense, by saying, you're B2B. You know, what am I, public sector, doing in a business meeting? Because we're all in business.
1: Wow. All right. Well, brilliant. Uh, I think... There's, there's, there's something I want to say before I answer the last part of that. One of the areas that I think is hot that's not new with social in it is the idea of CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility. What we're seeing with companies, unfortunately, I I have to use B2C companies as an example, but Tom's Shoes and Charity Water have built businesses using CSR as a differentiation or a value proposition that's what makes benevolence so important because it's being used as a business model right now where they're investing in communities but making money off of it they're profiting from CSR but it's because it connects with individuals in a very compelling way and that's why most of those things are very rich in social media because it's people are doing good while doing commerce now, in terms of just this globalization of business, I mean, yeah, in, t- in 20 years, we're actually things are going to look quite different. I mean, and, and the one where I actually have the greatest sense of hope for is, is in politics, because qualities like transparency and authenticity. I brought up this headline because it's actually, you know, w- w- we talk a lot about privacy when you see companies like WikiLeaks and, and organizations like Anonymous. You know, it's not about privacy at all. It's actually the fight against secrecy. That's the greatest promise in all of this. And really what it's going to start to do is break down monikers like B2B, B2C, you know, B2E, business to employee, you name it. This, operating around a business model of CSR, for example, and transparency and authenticity, but still... Focusing on the business aspects like margins and efficiencies and profitability. They can all live harmoniously, harmoniously. The, The challenge is, comes back to the thing with Luke. It's methodologies and philosophies. You as a business leader have to believe that by letting go of control, you're actually gaining control. And that's the part that is the scariest to individuals who haven't touched any of this yet. So I believe, and this will be the final comment... The role of a business leader is not what it will be in the future. I believe that role has to be earned, and that's why this is a revolution. That's why you see, you, you see it every day. Look what happened to Nokia, right? No offense, but the iPhone wasn't a surprise. Understanding the dynamics that change and leading around change in order to leapfrog it is what every business is going to have to do. You're not just competing for the future. You're competing for the moment, and you're competing for relevance. All of this is just a preview of what's to come. The social consumer will one day just be the consumer. So thank you.
0: Terrific. So we're going we're gonna to break in a second. I just have one final question I want to ask Brian. I want to get his thoughts very quickly on this, a kind of a tweet-sized answer, actually, Brian. Um, What you just said leads nicely into this. You were at South by Southwest Interactive in Austin, Texas over this past weekend, as I know a handful of you here also were. This is a place, if you're a geek, it's heaven basically, but a lot of interesting things are emerging out of here that we should be paying attention to whether we are interested in the technology or not. doesn't make any difference. They are going to make their way into the mainstream. So tweet size, um, Brian, what, what do you think were our... Say the top three things that you saw at South by Southwest this year that we should be paying attention to.
1: Can debauchery be one of those answers? <laughs> the parties, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, two to go. Right.
1: How many people were at South by Southwest? All right. All right. Cool. Uh, so the Apple pop-up store was all the rage, and that was there's a, there's a chain of stores in America called Spirit and Spirit has sort of introduced the value of a pop-up store model where they will, around Halloween, go to every retail outlet in the best locations that are not currently rented (laughs) out, and they will convert it into a store just for the season. So Apple did that exact thing in Austin, Texas. They took over a a blank store and made it into an Apple store specifically for the iPad 2. And that thing had lines (laughs) All day, every day, trying to cater to the people at South by Southwest it was actually a brilliant move, and uh, and I was guilty. I went into the line and I bought one, mostly for the experience. Uh, the other, <laughs> I'll stick to that story. The third, I would say this is technology has always just been you know, the center stage at South by Southwest ever since Twitter blew up there a few years ago, four years ago, and then Foursquare, um, and this year we saw a lot of things try to blow up because everybody's trying to be the next Twitter or the next Foursquare. And one of the things that we saw was just this commonality of group messaging services where in order to stay connected through all of the mayhem of South by Southwest, um, the group Lee, group me, uh, all of these tools were trying to connect people. Now, other than that, I will say that the one thing was, and the, that, that continues to be why South by Southwest is special is because not only is it the geek spring break, But it is also the cultural epicenter of technology, right? If you think about what technology has meant to each and every one of us, it used to always be about faster, right? More processing power, uh, the latest and greatest gadgets, you know. But now, really, it's more—it's less about that in terms of features and functionality, and it's more about how technology becomes part of our lifestyle. I mean, I'm just looking around this room, and how many of you have a iPhone in your hands right now, it's because it's an extension of you. And it's not just about that. It's an extension of who you are and how you're staying connected to people right here, right now. And so South by Southwest becomes a celebration of the digital lifestyle. And it's about us and how we're using technology to change culture. Um, and that, to me, is what I walk away with from South by every year.
0: Very nice. Brian, thank you very much. Brian Solis, everyone.
1: Thank you. You've been listening to an F.I.R. Speakers and Speeches podcast brought to you in association with Lawrence Reagan Communications, serving communicators worldwide for more than 35 years. Information is available at www.reagan.com. F.I.R. Interviews is one of the four immediate release series of business podcasts presented by Neville Hobson and Shell Holtz. The anchor podcast in the series is the Hobson and Holtz Report presented since January 2005. For information about FIR, to see show notes for the podcasts, and to subscribe to any of the podcasts, visit www.4immediaterelease.biz. You can also subscribe via iTunes and other podcast directories. If you have any comments about this podcast or would like to suggest other topics for future podcasts, please email us at fircomments@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.